0: Today is September 11th, 15 years ago today, a terrorist plot was executed to use planes to attack important American symbols and take American lives. Planes were flown into the Twin Towers, a symbol of American business. The Pentagon, a symbol of American defense. And perhaps the White House was the target of the fourth plane that never reached its destination, a symbol of American leadership. Many lives were lost and devastated by this attack. 2,996 were killed, more than 6,000 injured. But the damage of that day continues. Most of us remember where we were when we heard about the news. I was in college. I'd gotten up early that morning to go to breakfast across campus, where I could get a hot breakfast. And I noticed that there were a couple people sitting around a TV uh, in the lobby, which was unusual for that time of the day. So I walked over, and a plane had apparently had an accident and flown into one of the towers in New York City. Um, but I was hungry. And so I, okay, that's not good news. And I walked in and had breakfast. And I remember when I came out, it was a much different scene. Um, The second plane had just in the last 10 minutes prior flown into the second tower. And I remember that there were just tons of students. You know, um, we didn't have a lot of TVs in our room. Um, This was before you got a lot of news on the internet Uh, We had internet, but a lot of the news still wasn't working that way very much. And so there were maybe 50, 75 students crowded in this little lobby now trying to watch. And it was apparent that this was no longer an accident. This was a targeted attack on American soil. We did not have classes that day at Grove City. There were students from all over the place, and there were a number of students. I had a friend whose dad worked in the Pentagon, a number of students who had parents or relatives that were working in the World Trade Center that day, um, I watched throughout the day as that attack was incredibly personal on our campus. These kind of things had happened around the world, but not here, not on our soil. A war was declared in the days that followed, a war on terror, the focus being taking the fight to the terrorists that had sought to come after us. Yet in the 15 years since, I believe we have continued to lose the war on terror within our own hearts. We're nervous about terrorism, mass shootings, the global economy, and things seem to only be getting worse. Look, for example, at the staggering numbers related to gun violence in our country today. According to an article from NBC News that sort of compiled these statistics, more than 100,000 people are shot every year. This means that about every day, today, on average, 289 people are going to be shot. 86 of them are going to die. 30 will be murdered, 53 will be self-inflicted gunshot wounds of suicide. Every day two people die accidentally with guns, one person is shot by the police in some kind of intervention. The city of Chicago has led the way in shootings. Last year, 424 people were killed with guns in the city of Chicago alone. As of August, Chicago had already surpassed that number with 90 people being killed by guns in August alone in the city of Chicago. Between 2000 and 2010, 335,509 people died from guns in the United States. For a point of reference, Pittsburgh has 307,484,000 people. Okay? In that 10-year period, America had uh, more than the population of the city of Pittsburgh die from guns. Some of those murders, some of those suicides, some of those accidents A person is killed by firearm every 17 minutes, 86 a day, about 609 a week. In 2010, three times as many kids, 5,567 children were killed by guns. That's three times the number of U.S. soldiers wounded in action in Afghanistan during that year, 5,247. And just think about that number. Here we are in a place where we're not in a a world conflict. There's not really a war that's been declared. And yet, 5,246 soldiers were wounded in action in 2010. We don't think about the ongoing sacrifice that our armed forces are making around the world right now. We're concerned today. And we should be. We have ever since 9-11, lost our sense of security. Perhaps this is accelerated by the news and social media since now we can be constantly in touch with the bad things going on in the world around us. Not even just the news, right? You can watch the news, and then on the side, they're telling you the news that's going to be coming up, and at the bottom, they're scrolling other news that you can hear later. We can be just surrounded by news, This poses some real questions for Christians. How should we feel about defense? Should Christians be pacifists? If we believe in war, what limits should be placed on fighting? What should followers of Christ think about the police? Should Christians be in favor of guns, own guns, or believe in gun control? The Old Testament is certainly not a book of pacifism. You read the Old Testament, Israel's told to wipe people out. And uh, even gets in trouble when they don't wipe people out, when they allow people to live. The New Testament is also very violent. Babies are killed, people are beheaded, people are stoned, beaten with rods and crucified. The violence is a little bit different in the New Testament in that instead of God's people doing the action, the action of violence is actually against God's people. Jesus has said some very strong things about turning the other cheek, forgiving people 70 times seven times. His followers were told to love their neighbors as themselves, to love their enemies, and to pray for those who persecute you. Of course, at the same time, Jesus says in Matthew 10 that he did not come to bring peace but a sword. In the Psalms, we read, In Psalm 29, the Lord gives strength to His people and the Lord blesses His people with peace. But Psalm 144 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who teaches my hands to fight and who trains my fingers for battle. The Bible seems pretty paradoxical about its view of peace and war. Should we love terrorists, forgive shooters of mass killings, turn the other cheek to muggers and thieves? They're not easy questions. To help us think about this, let me tell you a story of one of my heroes, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a pastor and theologian whose writings are widely read among Christians today. He was a pacifist who opposed war and always looked for peaceful solutions. In fact, he was a big fan of Gandhi and had scheduled time to go and visit with and learn from Gandhi. But Bonhoeffer had a problem. He was a German pastor born in 1906, and he was a church leader just as Adolf Hitler was coming to power. His brother-in-law was Jewish. A number of members of his family and friends got pretty involved in actively trying to thwart and even assassinate Adolf Hitler. Bonhoeffer came to America for a time. The church, wanting to protect Bonhoeffer and see him as a leader in the community, sent him to America so that he could avoid the conflict that was coming. But pretty soon Bonhoeffer got on a ship and went back to Germany. He didn't feel like he could sit on the sidelines as his people suffered through all the things that they were going to be suffering. Bonhoeffer was still traveling to do some preaching. So the Gestapo actually ordered him to be a spy for Germany. So his job was that when he went to preach in Italy or when he went to preach in England or go to meetings for the church, he was supposed to spy to find out what the Allies were up to. Bonhoeffer actually took on the role of spying for the Allies. And so when he would go out, he would feed false information to Nazi Germany and would feed real information to the Allies on the outside. Bonhoeffer watched as the cruelty at the cruelty, the jewel Jews, gypsies, gays, the disabled and anyone who resisted the work of the Nazis, as they were taken off to camps to be tortured and killed. Bonhoeffer watched as much of the church that he loved so much and worked so hard for did nothing, sat by and even, uh, with very few exceptions participated in rounding people up and in taking the belongings of business of those who were taken off the camp. There were certainly some heroes. You can read about people like Cory Ten Boom, but they were not the norm. As the war went on, Bonhoeffer moved from pacifist to accomplice. He was actively engaged in a plot to kill Hitler that did not work, and in the end was implicated in that assassination attempt. He was arrested, tried, and sent to Auschwitz, where for two years he pastored the prisoners there. And right before the war was about to end, in fact, just weeks prior to the war, when Hitler knew it was coming to an end, he sent out a report to all these camps to make sure anyone who was truly his enemy, anybody who had conspired against him or tried to assassinate him, would be killed, and Bonhoeffer was on that list. He, hung, he was hung naked on April 9, 1945, at 39 years old. His final words were reported to be, This is the end, for me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer was a pacifist, but when faced with the atrocities and evil of Hitler's Germany, he felt forced to act. Yes, as Christians, we should be about love and grace and forgiveness. But our scriptures also take seriously the existence and the persistence of evil. We may read the Bible and see it as archaic and violent, right? How could we read such scriptures with modern eyes? And yet, it was in our lifetime that September 11th happened, that atrocities in Germany happened, that attempted genocides in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, and Darfur. I mean, think about all these different places around the world where lives were just thrown away. We have to acknowledge that the Bible is, maybe seems archaic to us, but it may also be one of the most realistic books ever written. That evil does exist and that people are capable of truly terrible things. And yes, there is always the possibility of grace and forgiveness. But part of the Bible's process for grace and forgiveness is another really important word that we don't like in our culture today. And that's repentance. Repentance. Repentance is more than saying you're sorry. Repentance is a directional word. When I repent, I'm going one way. The other way to translate the word repentance is as relent. I relent of my way of going, my idea, and I turn to a different way. That's repentance. So someday, as Christians, we believe there will be peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Someday we, don't, we won't need guns anymore. We won't need armies anymore. But until that day, there is evil in this world. And sometimes force is necessary to keep it in check. On this side of heaven, there will always be a need for police, for guns, and for armies. There will always be weaker people that need protection. Jesus was asked one time to sum up the law. And he said, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That puts us in a difficult position as Christians because that means everything we do, every action we take, every vote that we make has to be considered under this idea of are we glorifying God and are we loving our neighbor? That is a very high standard to justify war in violence and force because war is not very kind to our neighbors. But sometimes loving our neighbor may mean that we need to defend our neighbor from another neighbor. Sometimes to really love our neighbor we've got to, we've got to put in check somebody who would seek to destroy the neighborhood. I just think that it's a difficult choice. But as Christians we have to take loving our neighbor seriously enough to wonder if sometimes we have to keep other neighbors in check. So how should Christians feel about war and about guns? I think in the end the answer is kind of messy. I wish it was real simple and it's not. It takes a lot of prayerful consideration. We have the right to bear arms But I also don't think that it... I think it's really loving our neighbor that we find out why so many people have guns and do what we can to make sure the wrong people don't have them. But I'm not sure more guns will stop the issue. And I'm not sure that legal control of guns will stop the issue. Because after all, taking away people's guns will not make them less sinful. In the Bible, there are killings of Cain and Abel. There's a suicide of a man named Judas Iscariot, and none of those people had access to guns. The problem runs deeper. And what of wars? On September 11th, we are reminded of the devastation that hatred can cause. Today, we cannot deny that evil exists. We need a defense system. We need a military in a broken world. But I think as Christians, we can also call for care, caution in our foreign policies. That we can work for the betterment of our world and try to be ethical about how force is used. If we bomb children and we attack homes, then we too are terrorists. That is not loving our neighbor. Maybe the best way that we can love our neighbor is to, and stop violence is to address the underlying spiritual issues at play. What kind of world do we live in where so many people want to end their lives or end the lives of other people around them? When our neighbors here and abroad are filled with that kind of hate and despair. When the families that are supposed to be giving love and care seem incapable of doing that. What happened to our church That we're supposed to be people who teach and profess and live out love and care and forgiveness. See, these are not government issues. We keep trying to fix these with government policies. But the underlying issue is a sinful world that desperately needs love and hope. And it is our job to give them that. It's messy. It's complicated going to involve getting into real world problems, knowing people who are in difficult straits and having conversations and getting actively involved in their lives. But you see, we don't like the messiness. When we start talking about politics and especially issues of defense, we like things that are black, white, right, wrong. We like things either you're for us or against us. We get very adversarial. Because when we're afraid, we want simple answers when we're afraid we want we don't want nuanced answers we don't want deep thinking we don't want complexity we want things to be simple so we can survive but these issues in this world is anything but simple and this insecurity that we have this desire for issues to be simple just exposes the heart of the issue Because the real heart of the issue, especially for Christians, is where does your trust and your hope truly come from? Listen to these words from Psalm chapter 20, starting in verse 6. I wish every Christian had these words where they could see them every day. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer him from His holy heaven with, a sa- and with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. I love that line. Some trust in ser- chariots, and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is a royal psalm. It's a psalm that Israel would chant and they would sing in front of the king. They would say that some other kings trust in the number of their chariots and their horses. Chariots and horses, those were the tanks. Those were the stealth bombers. Those were the nuclear bombs of David's day. If you had chariots and you had horses, you could mow down an army that was on foot. And so the advantage in any army was how many horses do you have and how many chariots do you have? The psalm says, while some people trust in these things, Israel's hope was elsewhere. In the name of the Lord your God, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in guns, some trust in gun control but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in politicians and political platforms, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in big government. Some trust in small government, but we trust, where? In the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in the police. Some do not trust in the police, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in one candidate Some trust in another candidate. Some trust in neither candidate. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in nuclear weapons. Some trust in peaceful negotiations. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in national defense. Some people won't go on planes anymore. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Or as our song says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Too many Christians have staked their hope in something way less than their true hope. And maybe, just maybe, if we as Christians can once again find our hope in the name of the Lord our God, we can stop acting out of fear and out of terror and start to actually care about our world and have conversation about some of these really, really messy issues with clear-mindedness and a level-headedness that could actually make a difference in our world. Let us pray. Lord, on this day, 15 Septembers later, we remember the loss and devastation we felt as we saw America attacked. We remember those lost lives. We pray for the families, wives, husbands, children, grandparents, extended families and friends. For whom this day marks a day where someone they love was stolen from them. Continue to grant peace and healing in their lives. We remember those that were heroic on this day. Those that ran into crumbling buildings. Those who helped others. Lord, on this day, we thank you for police, for firemen, for political leaders, for the Coast Guard and the National Guard, for the military, and for even those who were innocent bystanders that acted bravely. We pray your blessing and protection on those at home and abroad as they protect and serve. We remember today those brave souls on Flight 93. But rather than let their plane be another tool in the hands of a terrorist, sacrificed themselves to take over that plane and forced it to a crash landing not more than a couple hours from where we sit today. Lord, help us to be brave in our world. Help us to weigh into the messiness of loving our neighbor. We long for the day when you return and war and violence will be no more. May we honor you while we wait for that day. Please be our true hope. Amen.